Welcome to Career Tipper Podcast, hosted by Michelle Beatty. The Career Tipper Podcast is a motivational resource that shares career and entrepreneurial tips by industry experts that will help amazing people evolve to their professional best. And now your host, Michelle Beatty. Episode 40 of the Career Tipper Podcast features Ashley Kirkwood. Ashley negotiated a $60,000 raise and bonus at her job. She eventually transitioned away from that role and started her own law firm, focused on helping entrepreneurs, startups, and social media influencers. Before law school, Ashley spent her time consulting for startup companies. Her legal accomplishments has garnered her press recognition. Her experience as an entrepreneur, consultant, and lawyer at a large law firm led her to create Mobile General Counsel. During this episode, Ashley is going to share how you can master salary negotiation. I'm your host, Michelle Beatty, professional development author and coach. Ashley, welcome to the Career Tipper podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I think this is going to be a great episode. I think salary negotiation is something that so many people, they battle with. Sometimes I feel it's a confidence issue or just not knowing how to have the conversation or even where to begin to like research it. So Ashley, I'm really excited about you coming on and sharing your insight and your experience with this. This is going to be good. So definitely, please start off by sharing with us your journey to mastering salary negotiation. Yeah, so I started salary negotiating very, very early. I think I got my first corporate internship when I was 17. And it was the first time that I negotiated my salary. I was an intern. It was the summer of my freshman year of college. And I had an offer from Siemens Building Technologies and Walgreens Corporation. And at that time, they both wanted me to work for them. And they were both very, very, very far all the way in Deerfield, Illinois, which was far from where I lived. It would have taken me two trains and a bus to get there every day. So I knew I was going to be going out there. So I started negotiating um, with them. And the one company, so I think what it taught me was, even at that young age, The way to negotiate is by having demand. So making sure you're in demand. It's very difficult to negotiate when you have no, uh, like you have one option (laughs) because you're scared of losing that job and they probably know you can't go nowhere else. So I think everyone, it's, I won't tell you that everyone can do this, but I'll say is if you are in demand and can create some demand around your services, then you should be in a position to negotiate. So at that time I was just negotiating a couple more dollars per hour And I negotiated one day a week from home because I knew that my travel would be extensive. None of those things were offered originally. So I negotiated and I went with whichever company would pay me um, the additional money and whichever company would give me the additional benefits. And I I used those benefits they were willing to offer me as kind of a proxy for which company wanted me more and hopefully which company would treat me the best. I had a really good summer at Siemens, so that seemed to have worked out. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes companies will negotiate with you because they have a lot of money and they still won't treat you well. So that's not always the case. But in my experience, um, at least at a very young age, it showed me if you have demand, you should negotiate and you will not get what you do not ask for, not in America. Okay. Now, Ashley, what's the basic salary negotiation strategy that you encourage professionals to try? 
Definitely. So I always encourage them to start with the money. But I think you have to have your levels set. So start with the money because the money will help you to buy everything else. So like if you get an additional salary, you can go out and get some of these fringe benefits that you're going to negotiate for. So I would start with the money and I would figure out what's the, first off, what's the average salary for your particular profession? What's the average salary that's offered at that particular company? And then what's your goal salary? So you should write down What's the average salary in the market? What's your goal salary? What do you want to make? And then write down what you're making now. And I would not tell them, I would do everything in your power not to give them your current salary. Everything in your power. Because once you give a company your current salary, for the most part, they're trying to keep you at that salary or a little bit better. And in some states, it's actually, I was an employment lawyer, so in some states, it's actually not even legal for them to ask you for your previous salary. Like there's different rules around what they can and cannot ask you. And your old employer should not be giving out your current salary. Your employment information, unless you decide to give it out, should be pretty much confidential. So I would start with the salary. And then after, maybe they say yes, maybe they say no, but you need to ask for more than what you want. It can't be unreasonable. So if they're offering you $50,000, you probably shouldn't counter with $150,000. But reasonable to me would be between thirty dollars and $40,000. Um, and there are some instances like with my most recent job where I said, I'm not talking to you all if you can't start with this number. And if you can't reach that number, then I have nothing more to say to you because honestly, at my last, my firm before this one, um, the benefits were so crazy good that I added up the value of the benefits and recognized that although I wasn't financially at this mark, this is how much I should have. Like if they took all the benefits away and I had to buy them all myself, because I knew my next firm wouldn't have a tenth of the benefits I was getting at my first firm. So I knew that I had to monetize all those benefits, and that's what it came down to. So I was like, look, 235 is my starting point. Um, and if you can't start there, then there's no reason for us to talk. So I'm already happy at my job, but you have to have, um, the ability to walk away. So like, this doesn't really work if you're like, if they're like, oh, well, who cares? <laughs> Bye. You know, that could really end the conversation, but a reasonable amount, I would say it'd be about $30,000 of what they're offering. They shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be ticked off by that. Um, I don't answer those questions about what did you make before I go all the way around them. Like I was making something comparable to what I'm requesting now. <laughs> like there's ways not to answer those questions directly. And quite frankly, you need to do what you can do to protect yourself because once they find out that you're making less than what you're asking for now, you'll never get ahead. Um, and quite, and there's other factors at play here too, because we all know that women and minorities typically don't make as much in the workplace. And a lot of it is because of what we ask for. But the other piece of it is, is we typically start less. Like our, our initial offers sometimes are less than other people's. If there's not um, a set, if the, if the company or the firm or whatever the, the workplace may be doesn't have a set amount that they offer everyone, then, you know, sometimes you get stiffed on that. But you need to find out whether there is any wiggle room in the salary as well. And that comes from doing your research with people who work there. Typically, those are junior people who work there. You should ask. Like, it's, it's okay to ask, like, hey, is, do you know if it's a flat salary? Do you know if it's a set rate salary that's offered to all people coming in? Or do you know if there's any wiggle room? And most of the time, people will feel comfortable telling you whether there's wiggle room or whether it's flat. They aren't always comfortable telling you what they make, but they may tell you whether or not there's any room to negotiate if they're aware of any room to negotiate. But always, always, always start with the salary. If they say no to the salary, go to the benefits. 
And that means, can I get an additional five vacation days? That would make it a lot easier for me to do this job. Not that I like to take off those days, but I would just love to have those in the event that I need to take some additional time off. And I'm happy to schedule those around the time that works best for the company. If they say no to that, then you, it, okay, so start with salary, go to benefits, and look at the package. Figure out whether there's any wiggle room in the package. If they say no to benefits, then that's essentially them saying no to money and no to benefits. Those are the two most important things. So I recommend you start with salaries. That's the most important. Go to benefits. That's the next important. And then after that, you can go to job title. So negotiate what they call you in the position. Like, okay, I understand you all can't do anything about the salary and the benefits at this time, but it looks like right now the position is um, an associate salesperson. I have over 10 years of experience. Do you mind if it's my position is called associate sales manager? Is that an option? Because that would really set me up for the future that I want with the company to go into management. Even if my job or duties don't change, I would love to have that title starting out. And that just helps so that when you're looking for your next job, you have a manager title. And it may help you get into a door in areas where it will not Otherwise, you otherwise would not have even be, been seen. So typically, and this varies, some companies will not even budge on the job title. But you might as well ask while you have the nerve. All of your power comes at the outset of your career. Before they see your numbers, before they see whether you kill it or whether you bomb, before they have any data to go against you, you know at this point they want you to work there. This is going to be your best chance to negotiate. If they say no to that, then I would go to um, negotiating. I would go to negotiating the negotiation in the future. So then you say, "Look, I understand that because at the time right now, you all are not ready or willing to negotiate. Would you mind if we revisited this conversation at the end of a six-month period, so I can show you how I've added value to the company? Can we reopen the negotiations in six months?" The, what that does is it gives you a way back in the negotiation door because once you get into a company. You lose your power, <laughs> just being honest. You lose your power, you lose your nerve, and depending on how it goes the first six months, you lose your leverage. Because when you're the fresh, new, shiny person coming into the door, they love you. They're like, this is our superstar. She's a rock star, she's killing it, she's crushing it. We love everything about her, we love her dirty bath water. But after about six months, maybe you were late. Every now and then it happens. Maybe you didn't have a rock star month. I used to be in inside sales. Maybe you don't have a good month. That, that's, I mean, that kills your credibility in sales if you don't have a good sales month. Or maybe you're in a profession like law where it's 100% subjective and they can pretty much say you're a rock star or you suck. It's all based on how they feel. Um, and if you're in one of those subjective professions, you're not in an income generating role within the company. Your power and your reviews are really based on subjective metrics, which is dangerous for a lot of different reasons. So you just want to make sure at the outset you reopen the opportunity for you to negotiate after six months. And then typically what that does is because you've given yourself a shorter runway to crush it, you're going to kill it. You're going to go in and do exactly what you want to do because you want to have ammo for that job negotiation in six months. And if that happens, you need to make sure within those six months, every client email you get that's good, all the great feedback you get, you print it, put it in a folder, and you bring all of that with you to your next negotiation. Like since I've been here in six months, 10 clients have said that I've done good. My manager has made me employee of the month three times. I'm on track to do X by the end of the year. I would love to talk more about what we discussed earlier. Is there a way for me to get, and then you do, your, you do it again. But this time, if you're doing a renegotiation, I would focus on salary. Because your benefits, it's very difficult for your benefits to change mid-year administratively. Like that just may not be able to happen. 
um, you get into enrollment periods and all that other type of stuff. So you want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. Vacation days, maybe. Job title is also tough because once you started a certain job title and other employees know you under that title, managers have to answer questions as to why now all of a sudden your job titles changed. But salary is something that can be discreetly changed. It doesn't require explanation. You come in on Monday making 65000 On Tuesday, you make 85000 and your cubby mate is no more the wiser. So I would stick with salary when you're renegotiating. But those are the steps that I recommend. One, start with salary. Two, go to benefits. Three, go to job title. And if all else fails, the nuclear option is like reopen that door to negotiate in the future while you still have some nerve. Indeed. You got to build up the nerve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. What are a few reality factors that professionals should consider when preparing for salary talks? Definitely. So one of the reality factors they should consider is the person you're talking to don't even make the money that you're asking for. So one, I like to have salary negotiations with the decision maker. I don't like talking to whoever's in HR about it because quite frankly, they don't, one, you don't know what they're making. And sometimes that gets in the way of the negotiation. Two, they don't have any, they don't have a power over that. They can't say yes. And so what I, what if you can gauge, and this depends on who shepherded you in the, in the process. So your best bet is to go to a company. One, if you're recruited to a company, this changes the game. And in most instances in my life and personal experience, I've been recruited to companies. But if you're going in and you just have applied blind, you want to find an advocate, someone who you connected with through the interview process, and you want to appeal to them and say, hey, I love this company. This is definitely the place to me. I, for me, I've done some accounting on my end, and there are just a couple of things with the offer that would make this easier. Who's, who, could, who could okay this for me? Do you know? Like, you want to be very inquisitive, very soft, very airy, very like, I really don't know, especially if you are a woman or a minority. And the reason for that is studies show that when women salary negotiate, it is seen as aggressive. And so regardless of whether it is, of course, I don't think it is. I think that's a complete joke, right? If it were up to me as a woman, I would go in and be like, this is what it takes because I'm badass at this. You know what I mean? Like, that would be like, the thing. but you can't do that. <laughs> you cannot do that. If you're up to me, that'd be like the way you'd go, rah, rah, rah. But you can't do that because a perception is reality. And this is your future employer. So you don't want to come off as a diva, okay? You really, you can't. Even though you're not, you're not being a diva. You're just asking for what you deserve. You're getting what you want. But you can't, it, it, it doesn't matter. The reality is people still perceive uh, women as minorities as, as they should be grateful to be at the table. They should be there. They shouldn't talk. But if you're going to start talking, the way you deal with that is you find an advocate or an ally at the company, someone who aligns with your vision for yourself, or they align with your vision. Um, you just connect with them. And this is going to, because you don't have much time. <laughs> this is just an interview process. So that's going to have to be, you're going to have to be aware of the energy that you put off and that they are putting off and say, okay, I, I think I connected with Katie. Let me go to her for advice. You don't go to Katie and ask for the money. You go to Katie for advice. And you say, hey, Katie, it's so this is really awkward. That's how you can start because it shows them that you're humble, you're nice, and whatever. This is what people need to hear for whatever reason. I, I completely disagree with this, but this is what I've seen work. This is really awkward, Katie. 
I looked over everything, did some accounting on my end, and it just looks like there's going to be some monetary things that I need in order to make this offer work for me and my family. And I'm really looking forward to accepting it. Who do you think will be the best person to speak with about this? Katie may not be down. She may just tell you, hey, talk to Jim and HR. Jim is not going to be the decision maker. But Katie might just say, maybe you got to talk to Jim and HR, but the person who's going to make the decision is Tom, and I'm happy to make an introduction. That would be great because you need to know who's the ultimate decision maker. Because what, what typically happens is if you go to this HR dude, Jim, whatever, maybe Jim's making 50 grand, you're asking for like 95,000 and all these benefits. Then Jim goes to Tom, the decision maker, and he's like, I don't know what's wrong with this girl. Now all of a sudden she wants 30,000 more than this, she wants this, she wants this, she wants this. Now, the easiest way to have this conversation, and this is why options matter so much, is to say, hey, I would love to accept this offer, but I have another offer on the table. So in order to accept this offer, I would need the following just so I don't lose anything on the deal. Now, everyone understands that because everyone gets that although we all love our jobs, we all work for money. If we were independently wealthy, who knows what we'd be doing? I know I probably wouldn't be chasing down clients. Like I'd be somewhere on a beach helping children. You know what I mean? So everyone understands the, the concept of we work for money in this country. So if you say you have another offer, and, and note, I said I have another offer on the table, and so in order to make this work, I'll need the following. I didn't say I have another offer on the table that's offering me all these things. Wording is very important because you want to maintain your integrity, but at the same time, you have to posture yourself so that they may believe that this other offer is offering you all of these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. And to be fair, I don't know if you all have watched Law & Order, but when they bring in a witness on Law & Order, they tell that man everything under the sun to get him to confess to the real crime, don't they? That's kind of how salary negotiation is, except unlike the cops on Law & Order, I don't recommend explicitly lying, but I do recommend a little bit of posturing. So, you And you need to actually have another offer because if you don't and they call your bluff and they're like, well, go to the other company, what are you going to do, you know? So you have, to, you have to save face a little bit. Some of it's posturing. You want to make sure you have another offer. You want to make sure you actually have something else on the table. But you also need to negotiate, especially women um, and minorities, because of what the studies show perception of those groups negotiation negotiation tactics are you want to make sure that you're pivoting in a way that's like okay i'm not saying i deserve all these things although you probably do <laughs> but these are the things that i need to make myself more comfortable because the reality is people people hate talking about money which is why your friends don't tell each other their salaries but we should be talking about money because the only way you're going to feel really comfortable negotiating is if you know for a fact that other people have gotten this. Like I knew I negotiated a $60,000 raise. I was told another woman had gotten $100,000. She was more senior than me, but had I known that beforehand, I would have went for the 100. Like, but without knowing, because knowledge gives you confidence. That's where your confidence comes from. It comes from knowledge. It doesn't just come from like the air. When you see confident people, now there are some exceptions here, obviously. <laughs> I am the most confident when I know what I'm talking about. There are other um, ways to build confidence, like self-esteem, inner work, all that stuff. But the quickest way to do it is to know what you're talking about. So if you know the numbers, if you've done your research, you know other people have gotten this salary negotiation, you're not going to feel 
this raise that you're asking for, you're not going to feel as um, burdened by it or as insecure about it because you know other people have gotten it. But never say that you know other people have gotten their raise. That is the quickest way to get shut down. I know someone who did that. That was that is an awful tactic. Because remember, you want to come off humble, knowledgeable, you know, willing to work, ready to work. You don't want to come off like an entitled millennial or like, you know, a diva or every company wants me, so you better bow down. Like you, you do not want to come off like any of that. That will, they could literally snatch your offer for that. Um, so don't say like, I know other people have gotten this because you, sh- you shouldn't, you, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, it is not going to work. It's <laughs> not going to work at all. No, 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 no. So please share a few approaches to take when it is and when it isn't an ideal time to request a salary hike. Yeah, so I would say if you've been there, so if you haven't negotiated at the outset to renegotiate your salary in six months, then I would wait a full year at least, right? Because six months is a short runway. But if you've already negotiated that, and the way you would do that is like, look, I'm going to take a little bit of a cut in coming here. So would it be okay to re, to ha, to open this discussion back up in six months? But you have to kind of position it like that. Again, this is all about framing. You want them to perceive you as like being reasonable. Maybe you do take a cut and take one for the team. And if they say no to everything, no, we can't renegotiate. No, we can't do this. No, we can't do this. But you need the job. Then you still don't want to leave with your tail in between your legs. You want to say something like, you know what? I understand the company isn't financially in a position to do this right now but I believe so much in the mission that I'm going to give it my all. And then we're going to have this discussion again in a year. Like you want to make sure that you're always positioning yourself to win in the future. And they have to know that this conversation will come up again, but the ideal time would be at the outset of your employment before you start. And then again, at the end of a really strong year, if you have a horrible year, you can't just go in and say, Hey, I need more money because once you get in the company, you have to add value to the company in order to request additional benefits. Now, you don't have to. Some people do it without doing that. But I, the strongest position you can be in is at the end of a really strong year. And if you can, you know, get recognized on some publications, like really build your brand while you're at this company. Get on a 20 in the 20s list or a 30 under 30s list. I did that um, for Cranes. And that was really helpful to build my professional brand because it's very difficult for them to say you suck when you've already been recognized for doing great things. Um, (laughs) And and honestly, what happens with a lot of people, especially women, is we don't toot our own horn. Fine. If you don't want to toot your own horn, that's fine. That's on you. So you need to apply. You need to privately toot it to some publications and apply to get in some magazines and some awards so they can toot it for you. And then instead of you saying, I'm so great, you're saying, hey, I'm super honored to be in this publication. I just wanted to share it with my networks and you send it out company wide or you talk to your company's PR department and say, hey, where have employees been placed in the past? I would love to get on some of those publications myself and build up the company's reputation. Notice the company's reputation, but really it's your reputation, but you say the company's reputation. (laughs) Like this is, you need to be using your job to build yourself up because the company, you and the company may or may not be married forever, but you will always have that brand. So they need to give you something. Um, But the, the worst time would be at the end of a really poor year a really bad year, you just didn't do good, or you were just put on like some performance improvement plan, like those are the worst times <laughs> to bring up salary negotiation. Like if you think, if you don't know whether you're going to get fired 
or whether they're going to say no. Like, you should just, <laughs> if you are having a bad time there, then that's not going to be the way you salary negotiate. Now, if your whole time at the company just sucks, like it just didn't go well, you can salary negotiate, but it probably has to be with another company. And then you can use that and say, hey, I have this offer to go somewhere else. I would love to stay within the company, but I need to be in another department. Because maybe the answer isn't moving companies. Maybe the answer is just switching departments. And so you can network internally to do that. And then when you switch departments, you have the salary negotiation talk. But it is, it's really challenging to have that talk when things aren't going well or when you feel uncomfortable at the company and that's a real feeling you're not alone like people feel bad at work all the time or you have a manager that's out for you like that happens that's a real thing I know people like to act like it's always us or you need to look within sometimes you need to look outside of yourself sometimes it really isn't you and it really is you have a horrible manager um and in that case you definitely do not want to talk to them about salary negotiation because you don't know how they're going to spin it and you want to be in control of the narrative as much as possible through this process, which is why it's important to know who is the decision maker. That's going to be the person you'd want to talk to if you can do it without completely obliterating the chain of command. Thank you. Those are That's like a lot of wisdom in that because discernment of when to speak and when not to is like totally key. Yeah. <laughs> now, what are some suggestions on how to demonstrate confidence? Because you were just sharing – your confidence is on 10 and that took some time. Plus you know who you are as a person. So how should one demonstrate confidence throughout the entire salary negotiation process? I think you have to go through what you're, it's tough because you don't, they already know what you're bringing to the table. So the way that you I think the easiest way to have confidence through the process isn't going to be like, well, I graduated from this school with these grades because they already know all that. It's going to have to be like, look, I'm, I am looking forward to contributing all of my professional resources to this company in order to do that and not feel like I'm losing on something because of this other offer. I would need the following. Please let me know if the company can accommodate these requests. So it's going to have to come from external things. Like I need this because I have another offer or I need this because, you know, I was looking at my finances and in comparison to the job that I currently have or my last position, I just don't want to be losing um, benefits on the deal. Honestly, that's the best way to demonstrate confidence will be showing them you have something else because for whatever reason, there's a reason why during the whole if you think about it in, in collegiate terms, during the whole interview process, there are some people with 10 job offers and some people with none. It's literally because if in the interview, I would tell a law firm or a company, I have another offer I'm just interested in figuring out, you know, whether or not we can move forward here. Then they're like, oh, she has another offer. Let me give her another offer. I don't know why. It's like so, it's very petty, really, <laughs> because they're not so much concerned with, am I the right fit for them? It's like, oh, she's the right fit for somewhere else, but she must be the right fit for us. And I think that that demonstrates a silent confidence. They're like, oh, there must be something to this chick if she has all these offers. So the best way would be to get another offer. If you cannot get another offer, then the best way would be to point to um, what you have previously received. So it's like, I just want to make sure that this offer is in line with my professional goals and I'm able to financially afford it. My family and I are able to financially afford this offer. You know, I mean, because sometimes 
depending on where you live, like if you're in New York, a $70,000 offer will be great in Kansas. But in New York, that may mean you literally can't afford it. <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with saying that. And you just want to watch your tone with it. Like, you can't be like, I can't even afford this. Y'all offering me $70,000. Like, it can't be that. It has to be more so like, I've run the numbers. I'm super excited about working here. I just want to make sure I'm in a position to afford my obligations while doing my best job at work. And everyone knows you can't do your best job at work if you're wondering whether your lights are going to be on or not at night. Like, that's a reasonable request. So you just have to know what's going, like, what's going on. So I think you demonstrate confidence there. But then, too, you need to do some affirmations before you have this talk. Like, I am worth it. This job does not define me. If they can't, like, if they don't value me, then I don't know. Like, <laughs> I want to work somewhere that values me. I think in this day and age, especially with millennials entering the workplace, it's kind of shaken up the atmosphere in some sense because people are now seeing that we don't think money is everything. It is a great thing, but it's not everything. It's not, there's not a cost to my peace. There's not a cost to my happiness. There's not a cost to any of that. Like you can't buy it off me. So do you really want to work somewhere that devalues you or that won't pay you enough money to keep your lights on? Probably not. Um, I can't make that decision for you though, because I'm not going to pay your light bill. So like, that's a personal choice. Um, but I do think affirmations really, really, really work. And I will say this, I am a confident person, but I work on it every day. Like I choose to be confident every single day because I've been in workspaces where they do not value me and where they are disrespectful towards me. And if I allow external factors and things to, um, determine my worth, then I will literally see myself as worthless. I can't give that much power to someone else. And there are times where I don't feel confident, but I work through those times and choose to show up confidently anyways, even when I don't feel it. So people should know that about confident people. It's not like people wake up and they're like, yeah, I'm the crap. I already know this. It's like you choose that versus giving in to like the internal thoughts that are saying you're not good enough or you're not worth this or no one's going to pay you that. So you have to kind of you have to work on that internally, but externally, look at the numbers, have your data, do your research, talk to as many uh, employees as you can at the company. Junior employees, I think, are more open, um, and then go from there. I love that. Thanks so much for sharing that. Now, earlier you touched upon a few no-nos when it comes to salary negotiation. Do you have any more that we need to consider the listeners? Yes. So one of the no-nos would be... Se- you don't want to tell, you just, it's one of those things like say less, you know what I mean? <laughs> like you don't need to tell them I looked on salary.com or, and saw this, or I looked on Glassdoor and saw that. You don't want to say that. You don't need to tell them which employees you talk to to get this information. You don't need to reveal your sources. You really don't. I don't think that that helps at all because what you don't want to get anyone else in trouble. You just, you want to say only what you need to say to um, get the conversation going. And because it's a difficult conversation, I recommend you have it over the phone, not in person if you can avoid it, or over email because it gives you more control of the narrative. And I recommend if it's over the phone that you write out your initial script so that you say you literally read it off of of your computer screen or you read it off of a piece of paper. That way you don't lose your nerve and start stumbling because it is a really uncomfortable conversation to talk about money unless you're used to it. Like me being in sales, I literally got hung up on hundreds of times a day because I was doing like inside sales, cold calling. 
So people, I would ask them for their money. I would not know these people. And they would say no all the time. So I'm more used to it than others. I have a little more resistance to that. But even for myself, it is very uncomfortable literally getting an offer and like kind of dampening the mood by being like, this offer is good, but you know what I mean? So write yourself a script so that you say the initial words you need to say. And then from there, you'll get a little more comfortable once you have the words out. So I would not do it in person. I've never done one in person. Um, I've always done them either over the phone or via email. And I recommend that if you can control the narrative, please do. And if you're going to do it over the phone, don't start like babbling or stuttering. Like if you start getting super, super nervous, you just need to say like, Hey, um, something came up. I would love if we could reschedule this again for tomorrow and then get your nerve back up. Practice practice with a friend or a family member what you're going to say um, because it may be depending on your comfort level it, it may you may not need to you know but like if, if you are really uncomfortable by it then you should practice write out your script for yourself these are some things that I recommend in order to like help you with your confidence that you don't like for lack of a letter for for lack of a better word like punk out or anything <laughs> so just do these things it may really help and then um yeah but don't don't say you've looked up their salary. Don't mention anyone else's salary. That's the main thing. I've said this before, but people do that. They literally say, "Oh, I know you gave Sarah fifty thousand. I want that." No, it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work, and you just violated Sarah's trust. So you definitely want to make sure you do not bring up other people. You make it one hundred percent about you and what you need and how grateful you are for the opportunity because. You, no one, you don't have a right in this country to employment. You don't. And it's, it's most states are at will states, meaning you can be fired for anything for any reason. And so it's important that you don't blow up your offer by being disrespectful through this process. And even if you don't mean to be disrespectful, sometimes because of the very nature of the, the negotiation or what you're negotiating, it can come off. Um, it can rub people the wrong way. So you just want to make sure your tone is impeccable. Now, how has salary negotiation helped you? Yeah. So I think for me, it was helpful because one, it helps you to know what you're worth in the market because as an entrepreneur, you have to charge for your services. And I've always, someone has always charged for my legal services. It just hasn't been me. Like I haven't been getting the bills and the invoices. And so with that, it was like, okay, great. This is what I made. I need to figure out how can I replace this income? And I know what I was being paid every single hour that I worked. So it helped me to calculate my hourly rate. And then two, it put us in a position when you make more, you save more. Well, not always. Because I made more, I put more away in my 401k. I was able to give more money. I tithed too to my church. So like I was able to give more to my church, which is all good because now that I'm rebuilding, I'm not able to give nearly as much to the, the organizations and things that I've loved to give to in the past, um, at least not at this stage, maybe after my first year. So I think it helped in all those categories. But also, it just gave me, it kind of gave me the confidence to say like, look, if someone will pay me that much money to do a job, essentially is what it was. It was a job as an attorney. Then I can get more. Like I should actually be able to replace that income um, because they were making so much more off me. So if your job's paying you a hundred thousand, they're not making a hundred thousand off you. 
they're making like five or six hundred thousand off you. So if they were paying me close to three hundred, they were probably getting nine hundred thousand. You know what I mean? So like when you think of it in terms of no company is paying you exactly what they're getting for you, obviously, because there's things like overhead and all of that. But you can figure out how to do some things on your own. Um, and, and I think when you make the ask for this, for your salary, you're, you get more comfortable making the ask for other monetary things. Like now I have to ask clients to pay my invoices. Like this is what my services are worth. Are you willing to pay that? And I have to ask, will you pay this rate <laughs> month to month? And if you won't, we have to be fine. I have to be fine walking away um, from the relationship at that time, because maybe they'll come back and be able to afford it later, which is fine. But you just have to get comfortable as an entrepreneur talking about money. It cannot be something that you don't want to talk about. Because if you don't want to talk about money, that means you don't want to get paid. And I want to get paid. So <laughs> you have to start getting comfortable talking about um, money to that degree. And then two, I think people should talk about their salaries more. It would be very helpful if we started sharing our salaries more with one another to the degree that we can use that data and do something with it. Like we can then too negotiate our salaries. And I know that if she's making this and we're in the same field, I should be getting that. And LinkedIn has good insights on salary negotiation. You can put in yours and see what people are making at the same company. But um, we don't do enough of sharing that information amongst each other so that we can use it. Don't just share it so people can be nosy. But if you can share it so someone can use it in their negotiations process or, or you're comfortable answering questions about it, it could help other people, especially, you know, studies show women and minorities do not negotiate nearly at the same rate as um, straight white men. So we need to figure out ways to, to lessen that gap because the pay gap may be in part due to discrimination, maybe, but sometimes Jack asked for more and you didn't. And so you can't really fault the company for that. So we have to make sure that we're making the right asks. So I think it just helped me to be more comfortable making the ask. Please share details about the services that you provide startups and entrepreneurs through your law firm, Mobile General Counsel. Definitely. So Mobile General Counsel is a firm, like you said, for startups, entrepreneurs, and influencers. And then for corporations, we do sexual harassment and discrimination training, um, which is great because my background is as an employment trial lawyer, which is really great. I counsel clients, did sexual harassment investigations, things like that. So for entrepreneurs, I offer a call with counsel package, which essentially allows them to call me, get an hour's worth of phone calls with me. Um, and we can go through their legal business strategy, figure out how to get them compliant, develop a plan, a roadmap for them to get their trademarks done, figure out what copyrighted material they have, list out their business assets, figure out how to protect those assets. We do partnership agreements, um, getting, getting their businesses legally compliant in all ways. So that's what entrepreneurs get. Startup companies are on, they can be on various different general counsel packages. So a general counsel, every large company has a legal department. The head of that department is a general counsel. So for startup companies that do not have an in-house lawyer, we provide either 10 or 20 hours of legal services a month, and those are general counsel services. So if they have a really big legal project that they need us to manage, we will find the lawyers for them, manage the lawyers, review the bills, make sure that no one's um, overcharging them on the legal bills, make sure that they stay in budget for all their legal expenses or handle the legal work ourselves in-house. And that's everything from contract reviews to managing litigation. So it just depends on what they need, but it gives them a bucket of hours to utilize month to month. And if they would like, they don't use all the hours and they roll over like minutes. 
Um, and there's a retainer and that's how we work with them. And for influencers, I negotiate their contracts with large brands. What I've found is that influencers are more powerful than they think <laughs> in terms of their negotiations with big companies and trust and believe Nike is not coming to you without first vetting it with their lawyer. But for some reason, people feel like they can negotiate with Nike without their lawyer. And I just don't think that makes sense. They have really big budgets. Typically, I negotiate on behalf of the influencer or I'll ghost negotiate, meaning I'll answer all the emails, but it'll come from the influencer themselves if they have a relationship with the brand and don't want to um, they don't want to appear like they're bringing in their lawyer or something like that because it can be off-putting depending on who the brand is. So I do a lot of ghost negotiating and I have different rates for that that I do with influencers just to get them a little bit more money. Like sometimes people are leaving money on the table. But again, your power comes from being able to walk away. So if you're like, no, I want to get $100 for this post, even though they're paying someone else like $2,500, then that's what you'll get. But if you're willing to, to get what you're worth and let me work with you and show you what other influencers are getting and I do some research on that front, then we should work together. Fantastic. Now, Ashley, what mindset or perspective of breaking financial barriers do you encourage professionals to boldly confront when creating the life of their dreams? Hmm. I think we have to approach things from a mindset of wealth versus a mindset of lack. I think we evaluate opportunities sometimes from, from what we don't have. It's like, I can't do this because I don't have this. And we need to figure out whether just approach it from a mindset of what do I have? Like maybe I don't have $15,000 to take this course, but I have X, Y, and Z and I can use that to get what I want in business. I think too often we don't do things because we just don't have the money or the resources or the networks. And we need to figure out instead of replaying in our minds, what we don't have as new entrepreneurs or business professionals, figure out what you do have and then figure out how you can use that to get what you want. And if you don't know how to do it, reach out to someone who's already done it. Love it. Now, I appreciate you being a guest on the Career Tipper podcast, and it's just our signature way to end every episode. Please share your favorite quote or affirmation that keeps you creating career tipping moments. Definitely. Um, my favorite quote actually comes from my dad, and it's that if they give you a no, they're just not the right person to give you the yes. So it's kind of a quote about never giving up. So maybe someone does give you a no, but they're not. That just means they're not the right person to give you a yes, so you have to keep going to get that yes. Love it. Now, please share how listeners can get in touch with you. Definitely. The easiest way to get in touch with me will be, I'm always on Instagram at the Ashley Nicole show. I love that platform. You can also go to the Ashley Nicole show.com for legal help. If you're an entrepreneur, influencer, or startup company looking for legal services or a company looking for a discrimination or sexual harassment training, you can find me at mobilegeneralcouncil.com and email me at info at mobilegeneralcouncil.com. Awesome. And you can find me, Michelle Beatty, at careertipper.com and on Facebook and Instagram at careertipper and Twitter, careertipper1. Please listen and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. And if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the Career Tipper podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks so much. And remember to be confidently you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Career Tipper podcast. We're grateful for our listeners and guests. For more resources about how to evolve to your professional best, share your comments and feedback about this episode and your suggestions for future guests. Visit careertipper.com. 
Until next time, be confidently you.